Hi, thank you for listening to Trinity San Diego Podcast. If this is your first time tuning in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that this message will encourage you. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, you can partner with us to reach others by investing at trinitysandiego.org. Thanks once again. Now here's Pastor Todd. And so um, here in week two, we're diving into chapter two. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians 2, verses 3 through 11. And Paul is writing a really power-packed part of, uh, of this letter from prison. He's talking about imitating Christ. He's talking about doing everything without grumbling. Thanks for that, Paul. I appreciate you telling me not to do things without grumbling. Hello. It's kind of hard sometimes. And what is really unique is joy or rejoicing in these four chapters of this whole book is mentioned 19 times. Paul knew something about joy despite being in prison. And so uh, he, he wrote this 19 different times. And so the following should, you know, really, I, I, I hope to convey a message that, that I believe God has put on my heart out of Philippians chapter two, so that what you can do is you can actually physically apply. So oftentimes churches are good at telling you how to live, but they aren't good at showing you how to live. That's why next steps is important because we want to give you tools so that we can equip you in how to live this thing called life. We want to give you tools in connect groups so that you aren't meant to do life alone, right? We're in community here as a church. There's unity in community. And so uh, we want to make sure that that's the way that we live, joyful and joy-filled. All right, so Philippians chapter two, we're going to begin at verse three. This is really near and dear to my heart. This was my father's favorite verse, uh, Philippians two, three through five was his favorite, but I'm going to continue all the way through. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Basically what he's saying is God didn't use his his supremacy for his own advantage. He actually did it for you and for me. And he says, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Today, well, I guess we can just go home. That was enough in in itself. Uh, But today, the title of my message is Joy Like Jesus. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to do Joy Like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Long prayer, we love you. Be with us in your name. Amen. How many have ever remember as a kid, you always want to be first? Like you were, like, come on, you all are lying in church, people. I know how this rolls. Like when I was a kid, 
I love to be first. Like I love to run ahead of every single person. I want to be first at lunch. I want to be first to get snack. I wanted to be the line leader. I wanted to be first. When I, when I play sports, I want to be first so I can kind of set the standard. I can set the bar where I want it to be. I mean, like, am I right? Like we, like, like it, that, and that's not wrong to desire to be first. And, um, you know, like when I work out, uh, I really like to work out. Um, I do CrossFit, it's fun. Um, but one thing is, Lucas could tell you, because we've worked out together before, uh, that I'm very subtle in my competitiveness. Like, I'm not gonna talk trash to you. I'm not gonna say, oh, you, you can do that better. I'm better than you. No, I'll just try to, I'll kind of watch what the other person's doing. And then I try to just keep on going a little bit further, right, Lucas? Like, I try to go a little faster. I'll do an air squat a little bit quicker. I'm competitive because I wanna be first. That's just the way God wired me. Even bowling, like I bowled with my wife and I'm like, like when we, like she beats me, I'm just going to say on, in bowling, but it's like, I get competitive. I want to be first. And one thing I've noticed is with my kids, I've started to see this behavior come out. Kennedy at, at bedtime, uh, Kennedy's four. She's a little girl. She'll turn five next month. And then Carter's eight. And Carter is like a man child. He's just this big Boy, and, uh, and then I have my little girl, she's so dainty and small, so she has to work her advantage. So what she does is she says, hey, Kata, Kata, I wanna be first. And so what she says is, we're gonna race to the bedroom. Ready, set, go. And she goes and she does it first, knowing that Carter is four steps behind her because she wants to be first. If you watch here at church, she'll do that. The other day, they were, uh, we were working here in the, and they were riding their scooters around church. They're church kids. They have to, we have to keep them entertained somehow. And so they're riding their scooters and they're trying to be first. And then I, we were standing up here with Lucas talking and I hear Kennedy, she's like here and Carter's like here. And she goes, hey, Carter, we're gonna race to the pole to see who could be first. And then they, you know, she's like, 10 steps ahead of him and he's, he still makes up ground. But, but we have this innate idea of trying to be first in our life. But the thing is, is it's all fun and games until someone loses, <laughs> right? It's all fun and games till our kids lose. So, so that, there've been many meltdown moments or times with our children where, where, where Carter or Kennedy are weeping because they lost, because Carter gets there faster and Kennedy's probably typically the more the emotional one because she's the little girl, she's the princess, hello. And so she's weeping and she's like, Kata beat me. And I'm just like, baby, it's okay. It's okay to, to lose every once in a while because what that does is that builds your character. She's like, I don't like losing. I'm like, but it'll build your character, baby, trust me. And I think that a lot of that whole concept of, of ideas in our wanting to be first, we let that carry over into our spiritual life and especially into our churches. And it's really sad and unfortunate. I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about the big church because I think that what we do is we have a really a problem of celebrating other people's success. We have a problem with encouraging them because what happens is we, encourage, we, we don't want to encourage them because what happens is we now are measuring ourselves based upon who they are and their success. So we don't want to encourage them because then it points as, and, and it gives us a lack of who we are. And really, I think that when we're joyful and we celebrate other people's success, we will have joy in our own life as well because we don't have to compare. We get in this comparison trap all the time, right? Social media. Hello, who went on vacation? Who's going this place? Who's going this place? Whose church is the biggest? Who's this? Whose business is exploding? Who, you know, we get in this comparison trap because we're looking and then it steals our joy. Rather, why, why don't we as followers of Jesus, as people that love Jesus, have joy for other people when they succeed? Yes. 
where they have joy. Celebrate people when they have success. Rather than going and, and, and pointing out your failures, actually celebrating them because who knows when your time is going to come. But what we have to do is we have to be people that will celebrate. And we can't wait. For, I think oftentimes we wait for permission to celebrate other people's success. We wait for permission. We wait for somebody, like, we wait for us to achieve a level of success. And then we feel like we can praise somebody else. I think the church should be the opposite. I think we should just praise all the time. And I'm not talking just praising people just to praise. It's not empty, but it's actually joyful. That joy is contagious, friends. Amen. Have you ever been into a room that's like really joyful, like a party? It's like happy all the time and it's fun, but we got to stop. Basically, we have to stop this tension and this comparison trap that our world desires for us to be in. I want to uh, go back and I want to read this passage of scripture again, but I want to read it in a different translation known as the message translation. And this is really powerful when we're talking about joy. It says, don't push your way to the front. Well, that got me already there, right? <laughs> don't sweet talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourself long, long enough to lend a helping hand. Just those few verses, I think, are really powerful in the way the church should actually operate. Lend a helping hand from time to time, not withhold it. Verse five, it says, think of yourself the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of the status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privilege of deity and took on the status of a slave and became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privilege. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death, and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far above anyone or anything ever, so that, he, so that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow in worship before this Jesus Christ and call out in praise, that he is the master of all to the glorious honor of God the Father. How powerful is that? And I think that, that Jesus, who is our model, right, for how we're supposed to live our life, that Jesus had a sense of joy, right? At least that's the way I think Jesus is. I, I mean, I, I think a lot of us, we, we, we look at this thing like following Jesus and being a Christian, and it, we look at it like, kind of like it's a downer thing. <sighs> I think Christians should be the happiest people on the planet. Like, like, are you kidding me? Like, we have, we have so much to be thankful for. And I think that we need to embody who Jesus is. And we need to have joy like Jesus. And I mean, when you really think and you ponder about Jesus, how amazing is that man? That he humbled himself from the throne of heaven to earth to walk like you and me and to extend his arms on a cross so that we could have eternal life. I want to have joy like Jesus. Everyone say joy like Jesus. Joy like Jesus. So it's good enough that I would say have joy like Jesus, but I want to equip you in how to do that. Can I do that for a few moments? Amen. Come on. So how do we do this? Number one, if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. Make joy a habit. Make joy a habit. Oftentimes the church says, choose joy, choose joy. 
but we don't explain how to choose joy. Let me explain how to choose joy. Choosing joy, number one, is not fake happiness. I think we, we, we adopt this whole idea of fake it till you make it. You know, I mean, like, like we do that all the time. I think we say that, oh, you're not happy. Just fake it till you make it. I think that that's the wrong way of looking at joy. I think that we need to make joy a happiness. We need, or I'm sorry, we need to make joy a habit, not a happiness. That's the same thing. We need to make joy a habit. Choosing joy is being thankful despite your circumstance. Meaning there are times where we have challenges. You know, I've walked through some challenges in my life, a lot of them. And I've had to learn to choose joy and make joy a habit in those circumstances. Choosing joy is being appreciative that the story is not over. Friends, I say this from this platform all the time. If you're not dead, you're not done. You still have more to your story. Keep going. Keep moving forward. If you don't get anything I'm saying aside from this, move forward. Keep walking. Keep one foot in front of the other. It's better to keep going forward a little bit that eventually that time you will, you will be way further than you were if you just stayed still. Joy despite your circumstance. Be appreciative. The story is not over. Choose joy is, start, is staring right in the face of hardship and saying, I'm going to get through it. I know I'm going to get through it. God is still good. He's still on the throne. But really, choosing joy is a habit. It's an attitude that you have to do. Um, You know, last week, a few weeks ago, I preached a message, and I used the Charles Swindoll quote where it says, life is uh, 10% what happens to you, 90% how you react to it. I think that choosing joy is an attitude. It's a habit. And the way you do that, I I think that you actually have to do it personally. You have to make joy a habit, just like brushing your teeth. You, have to, you had to do that. They, studies say that it takes 21 times for something to develop a habit, for you to do it. Think about the good habits that you have. Think about the bad habits that you have. I think about fitness. Like a lot of people just want to be fit the first time. What you have to do is you have to go in the process and you have to continue to grow. You have to wake up every morning and you have to actually be active every day. You want to eat right. Guess what? It's a choice that you have to make every single day. And in turn, what happens? A habit develops. If you want to get closer to God, what do you have to do? You gotta get in his word every day. You gotta make it a habit. We wonder why we don't have joy. Have you opened this book lately? Have you looked into this book? Have you studied the, the person of who Jesus is and who God is and how by faith he loves us so much that when we, when we just lean into him, he, 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 nothing, he, he loves us so much that he just wanna, wants to pour out to us. That's why he sent his son. So therefore we need to make joy a habit. We need to do that on a regular. Choosing joy is being like Jesus. Think about your problems for a moment, whether it's a financial worry, whether it's a challenge physically, uh, whether it's a relationship or whether it's loneliness or isolation, whatever your challenge is today. Let's compare that to three days of a challenge that Jesus ensued. So Jesus, we want to have joy like Jesus. What happened to Jesus? Jesus was what? Beaten. He was flogged. He was, uh, had a crown of thorns put on his head. He was mocked. He was spit on. I think he was judged pretty harshly. He had nails go into his hands. He had to carry a cross that probably didn't feel very well. He got to the point of exhaustion. He suffocated. He suffered a criminal's death for doing nothing. But yet, he had joy in the circumstance because he chose joy because he chose to go from heaven, like we just read in Philippians 2. He chose to go from heaven to earth, taking on flesh so that he 
could be with us. He didn't have to do it, but he did it for you and I. What power, what victory. Why don't we have joy in the midst of our circumstance? If we want to have joy like Jesus, we have to go and look to Jesus because he's the example. Let me encourage you with some other scriptures. James 1, 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18 says, rejoice always. Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstance for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope. Hope in the Greek is a strong and confident expectation. Hope, 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 rejoice in hope. Psalm 118, 24, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Sometimes we need to tell our circumstance how good our God is. Sometimes you are allowing your circumstance to be bigger than your God. And when you look at your God and who your God is, your God is great, your God is mighty, your God loves you. And therefore, there's no reason that your circumstance is too big because you got to tell your problems, hey, I serve a God that's going to take care of me. I read in my devotions today, by faith, the walls of Jericho went down. By faith, Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac. By faith, God told Noah to build a boat. By faith, we just have to have the faith to rise up that God will catch us in our circumstance and help us in our circumstance. We need to have joy like Jesus. Everybody say joy like Jesus. Joy like Jesus. Jesus. So number one, you have to make joy a habit. Number two, you have to be humble. You have to be humble. The Bible says in Philippians 2, 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit but in humility, in humility, value others above yourselves. Be humble. Be humble. Be humble. What does that mean? Oftentimes we think being humble means thinking of yourself less. That's, yeah, that's true. That's true. It's thinking of yourself, yes. However, here, this word in the Greek actually is an inside-out virtue produced by comparing ourselves to the Lord. That's the way that, that, that this is talking about because so often we compare ourselves to others. We take a measuring stick and we compare ourselves to what others are doing, right? Because we have an invisible God, but we have visible people. So what we do is we create benchmarks and we, we look at where we are in our plan for how we're supposed to live. And we wonder why humility is hard because we're always looking towards others rather than looking to the one that we should be looking to. Because when we look to him, everything else is level, right? When I look at God, you're created in his image too, just like me, right? So we can be humble in the process. And so I think we need to stop comparing ourselves to one another. And we're using measuring sticks to compare and benchmarks and, oh, this and this and success and, you know, square footage and cars and, 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 and all of these little things, followers on social media, weird stuff. Isn't it weird what we compare ourselves? I mean, let's just be honest. We're about taking the mask off at church, right? You know, no one's perfect. And so like we compare, what, what, think about the things we compare ourselves to other people. And I think that when we look to God, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, when we look to him, he is our example. He's the way that we should go. He's what we should look at. We shouldn't look at the right or to the left. We're in community together, but we're humble saying, you know what? I don't have it all together and I need you, right? And I love the fact that Jesus was the example of humility where everyone should have been looking at him in the upper room and what was he doing to others? He got down took off his outer cloak, got down on his knees. Everyone should have been looking at him, but he was looking at them. 
That's what each of us need to do is we need to look at him. And when we look at him, he will prescribe the way to go. And really, what does it mean? How do, how do we do this? We have to sur- surrender. We have to surrender ourselves. We have to surrender our life. You know, when I was a kid, um, my mom always, would always tell me this funny thing. Uh, I, was, I was, you know, lifting my hands like this. And she's like, oh, Todd, are you worshiping? And I'm like, no, I'm sticking up. I'm surrendering. That's what I was do. I'd always surrender, you know, surrender. Stick them up because we'd play cowboys and Indians and all these fun different things like that. But I'd always surrender. And what I learned as a young boy is the posture of surrender. And really surrender is about humility. And I think so often in our day and age, we prescribe to God what we should do. Hey God, this is what I want to do. This is how I want to live. And we wonder why we're not joyful in the process because we're telling him how we want our life to go. What if we allowed God to be God, right? What if we allowed him to be him? He created you even before in your mother's womb. He created you. So why don't we allow God to be God and I'm gonna allow Todd to be Todd and I'm gonna look to him and I'm gonna trust him and I'm gonna, every step God has planned thus far. So why do I try to dictate what's gonna happen in the future? Why don't I just trust him and I just take one foot in front of the other? Every step he tells me to take, I take, right? Because there's a humility that happens when we look to him for our strength and who we are. So everyone say, joy like Jesus. Jesus. And and one thing I want to say is it takes the pressure off to perform when you look to him and you let him guide your steps. Because when you let him guide your steps, your pressure to perform and to please other people, it, it, it just dissipates because you trust the person or the, the entity or the, the, the you, you trust God in his rightful place because now you're no longer trying to change your circumstance. You're allowing him to change your circumstance. Number three, number three, the worship team can join me as well. Think of others. Think of others. Think of others. Think of others. Philippians 2, 4 through 5 says, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Jesus' whole purpose to come from heaven to earth was not for him, but for us. Right? He thought of us before we thought of him. Whether you believe in this place or you don't. If this is your first time in a church in a long time, we have a little mantra that we say, you belong before you believe. But Jesus thought of us before we ever thought of him. Even in the most church churchy families on the planet. I was born in church. I felt like I was born on on the pew. That's how much I was a part of church. But Jesus thought of me long before I ever thought of him. So when we think of others too, when we take the the, the microscope off off of ourselves and we put it actually on somebody else, things begin to change because we're no longer looking at ourselves. We're looking at other people. We're thinking of others. Jesus' whole purpose was for him or for, for us, not for him. And so when we operate in the process of thinking others, we actually are thinking of others, we actually become more like Christ. And I think that's why, that's why like something Night to Shine has so taken off because of the fact that, that what happens is that whole night is thinking about other people. It's not about thinking about yourself. That's why Vibrant Lives is so amazing because we're not thinking about ourselves any longer. We're thinking about other people. And I think that when we take the lens off of ourselves 
and off of our circumstance and off of our situation and we start to think about others and we start to love others and we start to care for each other and we start to nurture each other and we, we, we see, I, I think that joy begins to permeate because you're becoming more like Christ. Because the more you become like Christ, the more joy that you will have inside of you because you'll realize it's all small stuff in this whole thing called life that we live, right? I mean, like we're just a blip in the radar. We're a blip in the radar in the whole scheme of it. So we need to, you know, there was a, a quote that, let's see if I get it right. Um, someone said, it said, don't sweat the small stuff because it's all small stuff. It's all small stuff. And we get so bent out of shape over all this stuff. Let's decide to make joy a habit. Joy a habit. And I'm not saying that, that, that when you think of others, that gives you a reason to be walked on or pushed over or be a doormat. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that, that you think of others, you're just allowing to be, yourself to be trampled. What I'm saying is, is what you do is you actually care for other people and you, you, you think of yourself a little bit less and you think of others more. Do you think, and I'm not talking about inside these four walls. I'm talking about outside these four walls. Oh, wait, pastor, you're asking me to believe like, or to, to love somebody that doesn't, you know, really believe like I do? Yes, I am. I am asking you to do a random act of kindness because what happens is, what if a church, let's just, let's just say this, what if a church decided to do random acts of kindness throughout the whole city and not worry about who gets the glory, knowing that it's God alone that gets the glory? What if you just went, what if we just decided, hey, every Starbucks line that I'm in, I'm in a lot of them, that I'm gonna just purchase the person's coffee behind me. What if I did that? You know what I actually do? I take the rewards that I earn at Starbucks and I actually use them to pay for the car behind me's coffee. Whatever they get, I pay for their coffee and then I try, try to drive away as fast as I, as I can so that they don't have a chance to come and like, like, oh, you didn't have to do that. You know, like do that. I want a random act of kindness because I want people to experience a kindness and a level of joy that no one else has experienced. I want people to feel loved and cared for despite of what they look like, despite of if they behave like me, if they believe like me, if they love like me, or any of that. I think that we need to start removing the mask and what we need to start doing is loving people radically. That's what Jesus did. So we just wanna be more like him. We'll love people more, think of people more, care for people more, take the, take the mask off yourself and actually do it yourself. You don't need permission to follow Jesus. You don't need permission to do a random act of kindness. All you have to do is do it. Because we have a lot of churches that say, I'm gonna do it and no one does a thing. Everyone loves a special needs community until somebody actually says, let's make a difference in their lives. Honestly, we gotta start thinking of others. And I've learned this from the special needs community. And it happened in my own home. You see, I have an eight-year-old boy, many of you know, that is on the autism spectrum. He's amazing. And he has a four-year-old little sister. I know I talked about him earlier. But uh, there was an incident at our home. Yeah, you know, you're just, you know, we're, we're a family. You have incidents at home. <laughs> and Kennedy uh, is, can be a little drama-esque. Um, can weep a little loudly, can be an actress. Hopefully there will be um, that in her future or whatever, but she just can be drama. And in that, uh, 
she didn't make her bed one day and all of her stuffed animals, her room was just a mess. I mean, just horrible. And so we said, will you clean your room and make your bed? And it was like World War III. I'm telling you, it was chaos. Screaming, rolling around on the floor, yelling. No, I'm not gonna do it. You know, I mean, just horrible. And we decided, okay, well, if you're not gonna do that, a privilege, we're, a privilege is gonna be taken away. That's what good parents do, right? We're all trying to do it. Don't judge my parenting journey, people. Golly. So we start taking, we're like, we're gonna take away some stuffed animals. We're gonna take away. And so we took away some stuffed animals, her iPad, some things that she just loves. And we did it for a time period. But her brother, eight-year-old, special needs, loves to people please, but doesn't want other people to have things taken away from them. So what does my boy do? He's weeping, standing between the two of us. Kennedy here, mommy and daddy here. He's weeping, don't do it. Don't do it, daddy, mommy. She loves you. She loves you. Don't do it. I mean, I had, to, I had to do this in the mall yesterday because we her feet were tired and she's like, she didn't want to move. And I'm like, okay, see ya. And, and Carter's like, don't do it, daddy. <laughs> so we go to sleep that night and I wake up in the morning and I walk around the corner. And as I walk around the corner, I look in Kennedy's room and it's like spotless. I'm like, there's no way that little girl with what we had happened two days ago, or a day ago, had this happen. And she goes, and, and so I walk in, and I said, Kennedy's up. I go, baby, who cleaned your room? Who made your bed? And Carter is over on the kitchen counter. He goes, I did it. I made her bed. I cleaned her room. And what that little eight-year-old boy has done every day since that incident is he's thought of somebody else he thought of his sister. And every day he's made her bed consistently because he has a joy and a purity inside of his life that he wants to allow that joy to emulate out of who he is himself. And all he does was he thought of somebody else, just like Jesus just like Jesus. And when that kid comes in here, he's going to be so pumped that, that, that there's a treat at the end of this worship experience. But what's even greater is this. A few days, or probably about two weeks ago, right, babe? Two weeks ago, uh, Katie and I were working out. Yes, she does that from time to time. Um, but we were working out. And we came back in. And our kids are standing in our bedroom. And they were smiling. Oh, they were smiling just grinning ear to ear. And they said, look, mom, look, dad, we made your bed for you. <laughs> well, you know what happens? That little girl got a glimpse of someone thinking about somebody else aside from themselves. She saw him be selfless. So what did she want to do? She wanted to be selfless too. And they made our bed. And what happened in, in doing something for somebody else? They had joy. They were happy. They were excited for what they did. And friends, I don't know about you, but we need a church that needs to rise up and be joy-filled and not just joyful, but joy-filled. And we need to do random acts of kindness. We need to think about others above ourselves because you know what will happen? Our churches will become more joyful. 
our life will become more fruitful because we think of somebody else, not just serving inside of these four walls, but serving outside. Did you know there are of all the miracles in Acts, only one of them was done in the temple. They were all done outside of the, ch the church, the temple courts. So guess what? We have a calling to go to our community, wherever you are, and do something for somebody else. Do something for somebody else. That person in that cubicle next to you, maybe you should just buy them coffee one time and watch what happens. Maybe God will allow a coffee to change the game. Maybe when you're at your, uh, when you're at the gym and you see that one person that's isolated all the time, maybe you should just go and give them a smile. Maybe you should go and buy them a smoothie. I don't know what it is for you, but what you need to do is you need to live out your faith. And you know what? I'm going to do it this week too. Okay. I'm going to do it this week too. I'm going to do a random act of kindness for somebody else because I want to have more joy in my life. I'm going to go and I'm going to step out of my comfort zone and I'm going to live out what I'm preaching. Amen? Amen. Will you do that with me as well? Amen. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes.